Faithful Exiles is a podcast that explores life following Jesus Christ in South Africa. We want to think deeply about what the Bible has to say about life and talk about what that might mean in the situations God has placed us in. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those held by the host, co-host, or production team. As this is a discussion and not a pure teaching platform, it is up to the listener to engage with the content responsibly. Well, hi there, and welcome to today's episode of Faithful Exiles, the podcast that explores what a life of faith in and faithfulness to Jesus Christ might look like, particularly in our South African context. And today we're going to be thinking about um, a subject which I suppose is a reality that greets us every day on the streets of South Africa, and yet one I I feel that we're often ill-equipped to respond to appropriately, and that's the reality of homelessness. How do we respond to the beggar who comes to our door or the traffic light? How did he end up there? Um, should I give food? What should I give? Um, how should I uh, respond? Does, do some of those things just make matters worse? And we're privileged um, today to have John Hopkins join us from U-Turn Ministries. Um, he's been there for about five years, ministry to the homeless um, based in Cape Town. And he's had many years of experience working with the homeless, thinking through these questions And so it's great to have you with us, John. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to to hearing from you. Thank you for having me. Maybe we can begin a little bit with your own story, uh, your own journey. Um, Where did a um, passion or desire to to work with the homeless come from? Um, Judging from your accent, you're not from this part of the world. Uh, How did you end up uh, in South Africa with your family? And just share a little bit of that journey with us. Sure. So I moved to South Africa about five years ago. Um, But prior to that, um, I knew about U-Turn. I'd known about U-Turn for quite a long time because um, the previous director of U-Turn, Sam Foss, um, used to worship at a church in London called All Saints Peckham. And um, All Saints supported U-Turn as a mission partner. And uh, my wife, Lucy, and I were leading the missions committee. And we, uh, and so U-Turn was part of that. When Sam was in the UK, he presented on U-Turn. And then my work, I worked in public health. I came for a health systems conference in Cape Town. And I got here on a Saturday night and I thought, "Ah, it's Sunday tomorrow. I'd love to go to church. I'd love to kind of, who do I know in Cape Town? Ah, I know. Let me contact Sam. Um, Maybe I'll get lunch out of it. I don't know. And um, so I landed up. I I met up with Sam, went to church with him. um, And then over lunch... We were chatting and I was saying, oh, I'm looking to move on for my current role and looking for something a bit different. And my wife and I had spent time in Africa before. And, and he said, oh, come volunteer for U-Turn. I was like, okay, I was looking for a job, but okay, there's, 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 that's a bit, bit different. But so, so I, I then um, went back home and chatted to my wife, who was eight months pregnant with our second. And I remember a conversation with Sam and she's like, I'm not moving to South Africa, like not at the moment two years of prayer and kind of really kind of digging into this and then we realized actually yeah, we really feel this is this is where the lord's leading us and so we moved over in 2016 i came over not specifically because of homelessness and this is interesting because it was actually i came with my experience working for nonprofits overseas to, to come and, and, and help you turn with some replication goals and to solve some some problems and came over as a volunteer but you meet the guys that are coming through U-Turn. You meet the guys on the street. You, you, you have conversations with them. And then you see them through, through the U-Turn program. And they're working in a shop. And you think, you were the guy begging at the robot before. Mm-hmm. Hang on a sec. What's changed? And it, it just motivated me. And two years turned into threes, turned into five. And, and, and who knows how long yeah. I'll be with U-Turn now. Well, maybe you can also share um, a little bit about U-Turns, the history. You've been there for five years now. A little bit of how U-Turn grew um, as a ministry and a little bit about your your vision and mission as an organization. So U-Turn was born in 1997, 24 years ago. And it was born because a lady called Colleen Lewis, who lived in Claremont in Cape Town, she saw two guys pushing a trolley walking down the street. And her heart went out to them. It was about lunchtime. And she thought, oh, these guys look hungry. And, and she just felt that passion as well. So like, I want to tell them about Jesus. So she invited them in and said, look, do you want something to eat? Come sit on my stoop, but I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And they said, sure. And they came in, they sat down, they listened to her, her, her share the gospel. They had something to eat. And then she said, look, if you want to hear more, if you want to come back for some more food next week, then by all means, same time, same place. 
wasn't two people the next week. It was eight. The week after it was 25. Then it was 30. And then it kind of grew into this thing. And then the neighbors went, oh my goodness, what is, um, like, I, this isn't right. We've got all these homeless people coming into the area. And so then it, it moved to the local church. They, um, and so it was St. Stephen's Church in Claremont. And the organization grew from there. So it kind of grew out of that desire to kind of it's feed people physically, but also spiritually. U-turn, our, our current mission statement is we um, exist to equip the homeless people and communities with skills to overcome homelessness. So we run a journey. So we, we have, a, have a solution for members of the community who know that just giving 10 rand at the lights isn't going to work. Giving or at the gate or giving someone a sandwich today and then they come back the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And you think, hang on a sec, I'm just now feeding this person, but should I be feeding them forever more because it's not helping them out of their situation? So you don't have a voucher that members of the public can buy and that voucher entitles someone to a meal or an item of clothing, but it's also a ticket to, it's a referral into an organization where they'll meet up with people who are very experienced, who have trained in actually working with people, who people who've been on the street, who can start walking a journey with someone. Now that journey often involves, okay, it's preparation, it's kind of groups to kind of get someone thinking about a journey of change. It's often drug and alcohol rehabilitation. It's getting someone into a shelter. And then it's a work readiness program. And then dealing with the trauma from the past, building resilience for the future, and then on into long-term employment. So you've you've shared some something of the programs. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a picture um, of that that journey, um, and what you sort of do on a day to day basis. You're involved in some at in some level of this organization, um, and maybe also a little bit about how you're structured. Do you have staff, volunteer based? Um, how do you work as an organization? And some of those some of those programs that you that you have. So we're currently primarily staff-based, but we're looking to increase our volunteer program at the moment. Um, and I'm the operations director, so I'm responsible for anything that is, is anyone who's working with um, someone who's living on the street. That, that, that's my role. So at U-Turn, we operate across three service centres um, in Mitchell's Plain, in Claremont, um, and in Musenberg. And we've also got someone working in Simonstown. Um, we also run charity stores. So it's, it's sh second hand selling secondhand clothing and secondhand goods. But the great thing about each shop is it's somewhere for someone on our program to work. And they're actually employment spaces, but they're safe employment spaces. Four days a week, they will um, work in one of our stores. One day a week, they will come and they will have a Bible study. They will have um, a check-in session with a counselor. They will have um, a, 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 work, a session with a caseworker and they will have some therapeutic groups. Uh, they will learn some, some, some life skills, whether it's money management, whether it's and also there's driving lessons, there's IT. And so it's all these things that are kind of dealing with the reasons that someone may have landed up on the street, but also building that resilience um, and, and kind of that uh, and ability to actually cope longer term uh, after they've left the program. So the program takes about 18 months on average. It's a long term program. It's not just a there you go. It's a it's, it is a long term journey. We walk with people. But but uh, yeah, that, that's kind of in a nutshell what we're doing. Yeah, so you've shared a little bit about the the U-turn program. Maybe you can just yeah, share what does it look like at, at various stages when a homeless person comes into that program and where you're hoping to get them to at the end. And yeah. So over many years, U-turn has developed a pathway um, for people to walk off the streets. And that pathway has four phases. So it's the first phase, which is someone still living on the streets, um, and we call it preparation. So it's actually working with someone to prepare them to be ready for change, to be ready for the next steps. And it's often programs miss this step out. They go, oh, okay, here you go, here's a shelter. But shelter has rules and you have to be there every day. Or here's drug rehab. You have to go to drug rehab every day. You need to start building up that routine and that sort of sense of change. And also this is where we work with people through groups. We provide basic needs, yes. So it's the food and clothing. Um, it's through vouchers and we encourage people to, to then work for those vouchers. But then if you come to a group and it's a Bible study, we'll give you breakfast afterwards, of course, because you're coming to a group and or these the fun games and, and that are played or watching a movie or something but it, and discussions and other things. 
but it's all about starting that, that desire to change. When someone's ready and they're saying, yeah, actually, yeah, help me walk off the street. Um, not someone walks in, it's been wet. Okay, I want to get into a shelter. It's like, okay, today, but tomorrow you'll come back and go, actually, no, I've changed my mind. And so it's for building that routine. When someone is ready, we then refer them to a shelter um, that we partner with or one of the shelters we partner with. And we also work with a uh, local drug rehabilitation centers, again, that we partner with. And we pay the shelter fees as you turn and we pay the transport to and from the, the rehab. If the rehab is not full-time, it's often outpatient, if it's not full-time, then we will um, expect the person to be at the various, the, the particular U-turn service center giving back. And we do everything through vouchers, so and, and they're, they're earning, they're helping serve the meals, they're helping in the groups, and they're, so they're part of the program. And um, we're providing everything they need, whether it's toiletries or shelter and things, but not money at this point. And it's because the guys in the program have said, if I have money in my pocket, I'm going to be much more tempted to use. So, And when someone's finished that program, or if someone didn't need drug and alcohol rehab, then we have what we call transition support, just getting ready for our third phase. Now, our third phase is work readiness. So with work readiness is when they're on our, our, our program where they're then given a stipend every month and they're working in one of our shops four, four and a half days a week. And then one day a week, they're back in our, uh, they're being trained, meeting with a case manager, going to Bible study, going to different life groups, therapeutic groups, dealing with the trauma and those sorts of things. So they, in this phase, they learn, they apply, they learn, they apply, they learn, they apply. In, and the great thing, we mainly use retail shops as our work opportunity. Whilst all the guys don't go into retail, it's really, when you're in retail, well, day one, you can rock up with no training and stand at the door and welcome people. Then you can be taught some visual merchandising techniques. Then you can be taught some customer service techniques, dealing with complaints, dealing with problems. These are all massively transferable to lots of different industries. Mm. Then you can be, um, when you've proven yourself, be given cash handling responsibilities, use the till. Some of the guys say, I've been in prison for stealing. Yes, but you've built up trust. And, and so, and it's, it's, and it works on, on trust and, and you're showing, you're proving yourself and you're, and so, and, 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 and then you can become the, the supervisor um, so, so when the manager's away, then you can actually become the manager and employed by you turn to be the manager of the store, um, looking after the, the other, other people who are in, in the store. So you walk into a store, there's a manager who may or may not have been on the program, then the rest of the, the um, uh, people working in the store have been on the U-turn program. Mm. Ask them their story. They're willing to share their stories. Oh, tell, tell me about where you came from. I, I, I've had people come to me and go, wow, I just... Just was amazed by, and I didn't like this person actually used to be here, and then they're not anymore. So when then the occupational therapist decide that this person is ready to move off from the program, then we then they go and get a job in the open labour market, and we we help them to get a job, and then they graduate, and then there's the, the phase four is the kind of the graduation and the kind of after support. Now six months later, we follow up with everyone who left the program, and for those that graduate. We find that six months later, 80% are still in employment. It may not be the same job as they left in. They may have lost that job, but managed to get another job. So they've got the resilience and skills to get it. 80% um, are still maintaining their sobriety. And 75% are now in formal bricks and mortar accommodation. Either back with family, they're renting a space. It's not a hockey. It's not a shack. Um, it's not a homeless shelter anymore. But it's actually in formal mm. bricks and mortar accommodation. And so... And it's, it's that stickability. And that's what we're really looking for is actually, is this long lasting um, program? And, and that's, that's, that's proof that, that, that it is because six months later, we're actually having quite high outcomes. Hmm. Maybe you can share some uh, challenges along the way, maybe a few stories that stand out for you and of course some joys as well um, in that. Hmm. So before I do that, I, I'd love to just touch on what are the kind of causes of homelessness and why does someone land on the street? Yes, because, and yes. I think that will really help to I explain some of the stories that I share will re really yeah. help. So at U-Turn, we've realized that is homelessness houselessness? Is it lack of a roof? And actually, in the vast majority of cases, it's not just the lack of a roof. Homelessness is caused when two things come together. 
One is lack of um, an income. So if you're unable to, um, uh, if you don't have a job, or you don't have um, a grant coming in, or a pension, or you don't know, so, so you don't have savings you can rely on, so there's a lack of an income. But was it 30-something percent of our country are unemployed? Among youth, it's over 50 percent. And there's not that proportion of people living on the street. So it's, it's lack of an income, but it's also when you've broken your social support network. So your social support network is your family or it's your friends. It's who, who can look after you and, 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 and put a roof over your head and, and, and food in your mouth whilst you don't have an income. And it's when those two things are not there, you land up on the street. Now, what causes lack of, a, of an income? What causes the breaking of social support network? Well, there's often there's the, there's, there's the pathological things. There's mental ill health. It's, it's, is an issue and it, and and, it, and people can the families cannot cope there's addiction and and drug or alcohol addiction it's in cape town it's a lot of yes alcohol but also tick and also heroin and and so you've got people who have an addiction and they may land up stealing to feed their addiction and it's, it's it was a coping mechanism and with trauma in life and it, it lands with them being kicked out of home or it, it could be that that psychological of just not bothering you're just sitting around at home you're a 20 year old male you dropped out of school early it's too hard to go and get a job and you're you're just there and when there's 20 other people living in your tiny rdp house the family's like we can't look go and get a job off you go 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 and move or and and, and you can be kicked out and so there are different reasons and, and 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 different factors behind it but it's often lands up with that lack of support network and lack of income these two being on the street so interestingly when you ask people living on the street why are you homeless and now in cape town we did a survey just before lockdown last year of 350 people we asked them why are you living on the street and these reasons came out it was like oh no it was i don't have a family or somebody died and loss of support network lost the house or lost my job or um, there was abuse or there was something that maybe ran away or no it was my addiction and a very small proportion of people said it was my choice and the people that said it was choice then said but there were also these other reasons like oh, I was my addiction or other thing and it's kind of that like you feel it's like okay you're saying choice because it feels like you have agency and you, you you kind of want to it's like no I'm choosing to do this because it makes you feel better only three people out of the 350 people we spoke to said, no, it's my choice, and choice alone to live on the street. So it's actually a very, very small number where it's choice alone. But a lot of people you speak to um, will say, we ask everyone we speak to, so why do you, uh, do you want help to get off the street? There's a lady I remember speaking to in the town centre car park in Mitchell's Plain, and she said, yeah, I've been on the street 30 years, but I want to get off the street. Yeah, of course I do. I don't want to live here. But... I'm a heroin addict and I've tried to beat it by before and I can't. I don't want to sweat it out again. It's just, it's too much. One of those shelters with all those rules, it's just too much for me and so straight away. And, and, and like, I, 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 but I want to get off the street, but I need help in terms of to, to, to get there. And what's currently on offer, it hasn't, I've tried it, it hasn't worked for me. And fascinatingly, with when the hard lockdown started in March last year in 2020, People we've been working with in Claremont for many years. Um, they come with a voucher, they get a meal, they can earn a voucher, they can, and um, they through the groups, and then they're like, actually, no, we, we, we prefer living in, in this environment. The day lockdown hit, I remember being out, I had, I had a permit to be, to be allowed to work because of the work we were doing. And the people desperately coming up to me, who I'd seen every day for three years, and they were saying, John, Help us get off the street. I don't want to do this anymore. My support network is gone. I, I, the robot I stand at, there's nobody driving around anymore. Mm -hmm. There's no one to get the thing. Yes, I have a substance addiction. And I, okay, I can't feed that. I can't feed myself. It's all gone. And that was exactly the time there was no space for anyone or anything to get happen. And then suddenly, 1st of July, we went to level three and things opened up. And I went back to the same people and went, great, I've got a space for you. They're like, actually, no, there's now more people around and I, I, I feel comfortable in this space again. And it's as a society, as a community, how much are we enabling people in the thing that they're in? 
and and in the situation they're in and 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 it it was it just really struck me at that moment of of that yeah on the flip side people that have made that change it's uh, there's a guy who i was mentoring last year and at the end of our mentoring time we went out for lunch and it was um we went out for lunch in claremont um close to where he was working in one of our charity stores and he sat down he looked around and he said I was here two years ago, but I was living on the street. I was, I was addicted to tick. I came here with my friend and we looked around and went, oh, wow, this place is a bit posh. It was just a normal eatery in, in Claremont. He's like, I don't feel comfortable here. And they left. And two years later, he's kicked the addiction. He's living in accommodation. He's on our work program. He's sorting his life out. And he sat there having lunch at this place going, I belong here. And it was just that transformation that you can see the person there at the street and you dehumanize them you, you don't think that they're human and then the flip side of but actually there is life after homelessness it that's not the end that you can see this transformation happen and that's what really yes oh wonderful i mean i think you've touched there on i suppose all of our responsibility in some sense as a society for sometimes enabling uh, this Particularly speaking to Christians, um, why do you think this is a, something that Christians should care about? Um, why you spoke about Colleen, the founder, and, and what, what drove her? Um, what are some biblical themes, biblical texts that have really resonated with you personally and maybe as an organization as well that inspires your work? So I've got three texts I want to share. Um, there are lots. So why should we as Christians do this? because Jesus told us to. Um, and it's a theme throughout the Old Testament. If you're looking at the poor, if you're looking at poverty, if you're looking at the marginalized, the lost, it just comes up so much in the Levitical law. It comes up so much throughout the Old Testament. It comes up so much, again, followed um, through Jesus' teaching and, and, and Paul's teaching, etc. in the New Testament. But one passage that, it, it's Matthew 25, it's the sheep and the goats. And... and um, it, it, it's like verse 34 of Matthew 25. It says, Then the king will come and say to those in his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And it's that thing of, and then the righteous go on and say, oh, we didn't see you. And he's like, no, it's whoever was the least of these. Um, whatever you did for, the, for, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And it's that call to actually look out. And, and if you're living on the street, if you're someone living on the street, it's kind of like you are the least of these. You are looked by society as, as like, oh, my goodness, what happened to them? And yes, sometimes it was poor choices. Sometimes it was life circumstance. But that doesn't mean that person is not made in the image of Christ. And so it's what we should do. But sometimes the response to this is, great, okay, so we just need to open up a soup kitchen. We just need to kind of keep feeding, clothing. We need to keep on doing these things. And, and there's a really helpful book, um, When Helping Hurts, um, from, from the US. And it's, it's sort of that, 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 that sort of saying, but hang on, as Christians, can we... Can we create more harm than good? And there's another one called toxic charity as well, which is it looks exactly the same thing of, hang on a sec, we, we, we aim to do this, but are we actually making things worse? And so something that, and it was, this was someone that, that showed this to me in, in John. And in John chapter six, it's just fascinating that it starts with Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it's there and it's thing and he feeds the 5,000. He then, night falls, he walks over the water and he suddenly turns up and they found him on the other side of the lake. And in, 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 in verse 25, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus said, truly, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's like, okay, I fed you. And now you're looking for me and, and I healed people and I taught all day. And now you're looking for more food and you actually want me because you want me to keep providing food. And then he goes on to say, basically, I am the bread of life. And, and, and it's, it's that whole passage about, look, it's not, it's like the spiritual as well as the... the and, and not working for food that spoils. Exactly. 
and it and it's it's that whole thing which is a fascinating thing of is Jesus calling us to just keep feeding, keep feeding, keep feeding? Because it's this, and we see it so much among people on the street and among partners we work with, is this sense of entitlement. And during lockdown, you turn, because it's a humanitarian need, there was no food around, we just switched to, this, you can just get a meal. Come midday, any day you can get a meal um, uh, for anyone who's on the street. And we saw people come in. And then the entitlement starts to come about, oh, and you've got a big meal and a, a packed lunch for, for a packed supper that you can take away. And people are like, oh, yeah, but I don't like that. And I want this and this and I'm going to have more or less or hot or, or whatever it is. And this entitlement come in and possibly everyone's entitled to choice and, 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 and that. It's, it was a, huh. But then when we put the vouchers back in, when, when things opened up, a lot of people went, oh, no, I don't want to work for my food. Oh, I don't want to. And, and anyone can work for just an hour doing some street cleaning or doing, doing some sort of activity. They can earn vouchers to get food and clothing. And it's trying to get that, break that entitlement. But those that do, it helps break that mindset as well of, no, I'm just here to receive rather than, because to leave the streets, you need to get out of that stuck mindset and you need to get into that process of, oh, my goodness, it is a... Um, it's a long-term journey and it's a, it's a, it, I need to work on myself a lot. And when someone's stuck and when, when, when they were into that, out of that mindset and into that mindset of, hang on a sec, change is possible. We can really work with someone there. So addressing those deep spiritual needs actually is really cool. Uh, maybe you could also share a little bit. I mean, I've done some homeless ministry myself, but from your experience, what, what kind of text and biblical themes really resonate with, with the homeless, um, um, or with people who are homeless, when you're ministering to them, what, yeah, what texts really speak to them? Um, are they particular? So, I don't know which texts in particular resonate, because I'm not the one that's involved in the Bible study day, day by day. Um, but two things that, I, 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 that, that, that jump out... This isn't a specific text, but this is actually more the practice and, and the, the, in terms of being a Christian. One thing they said, so when we started opening up after uh, lockdown last year, the first service that people asked for beyond food was, can you put the Bible study back? Mm. And they said, look, John, you can go, you can do church online. So you have access to that. The church building is closed, but you can actually do church online. We don't have a Bible. Um, and if you do, you might get lost or wet or whatever. And, and, and what we, we miss that, that fellowship and that, and that actually kind of digging into the word with, with, with other believers. And so that was the first thing that, that they really missed. And the second thing is each day on our work sites, we start with a devotion. And it's that kind of grounding your recovery journey with an accountability to each other but also that, that journey with um, that starting the day with prayer and actually going, okay, Lord, it's in your strength. We can't do this in our, our own strength. And in terms of the passages, there's lots yes. of stuff. And they, yes. and they kind of, and they soak it up. Yes. And they, some of these guys know their Bible incredibly well. Mm. And, and, it, and it's for them, a lot of them, it's, it's a solace. And also it's a, there's a real true strong faith there. Mm. Actually walking it is, is particularly difficult. And so ways to, to just to practically help people in terms of that discipleship and fellowship is, is key. Yes, for many years, on a Thursday morning, we actually had a ministry here in Stellenbosch, and yeah, we just found that stories really resonated, the biblical stories, and even something visual. You know, we used this visual Bible, and then we discussed, we just discussed the story, Jesus' parables, and yeah, I think Jesus' compassion for the weak was something that stood out for me, um, something that um, came out again and again. Yeah, I mean, you've already spoken a little bit to, uh, to this, but I mean, uh, how do we guard against that sort of patronizing attitude or this, or sort of almost objectifying people, seeing them as a project, yeah, I'm going to fix um, this problem, or how do we guard against that? Um, how do we see ourselves in the homeless people and see when we look at their problems, actually see our own sin as well, um, or maybe some pointers there? Um, I think it's very easy when you see someone begging at the robot. And you're in your car and you wind up the window and you ignore the person. And actually, it's, it's um, even winding down the window 
and having a conversation with the person, saying hello, finding out their name, because often you see the same person day after day after day, and then just greeting them by name. And actually, then they are a person. They have a name. They, they have an identity. If someone's coming to your gate, you'll be spun a story. Test the story. If someone wants transport home, offer them a lift. And sometimes you go, oh, yes, please. You're like, oh, no, I've got to drive now to <laughs> yeah. uh, wherever. <laughs> yeah. I've done it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I also I always <laughs> test the story. And, and, some, and you need to be willing to, to pay the cost when... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and other times they're like, oh, no, 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 actually. <laughs> and they change the story. And, 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 but, and but it's kind of, and, and it's the, and do I ever give food at the gate? Yes, I sometimes give food at my gate because sometimes you feel actually, well, okay, I'm going to test it. It's like, if you come back tomorrow, that's not the story you just, just, just done, said, said to me. And actually, often I'll give a U turn voucher and say, okay, I know that, look, it's six o'clock at night, they're not open. So, Here's something for now, but tomorrow go to Utah and you don't need to come back here. And, and so I, it, it's a, and, it, and it, okay, I'm lucky I live within close to a Utah center. If you're in a place that there isn't a Utah center, it's like, but you know where the local soup kitchen is. You know where, like something that I know in Cape Town, I'm sure it's the same in Stellenbosch and elsewhere, is actually access to food is not the problem. There are lots of soup kitchens around. And then people, people very quickly learn, okay, now I go here at lunchtime on a Monday and here at dinner on a Monday, and then you kind of go through. And so you, you kind of get to, um, so it's not always food that is the issue. And it's kind of getting to understand the person and finding out, well, what, what are the shelters? What are the requirements? What are the things in the area? What, 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 is, what is possible? Um, there is always a, a time cost to this. In terms of when I always I find knock on the door, knock, knock on the gate at the time when you are least um, well, it's always inconvenient, <laughs> and and I'm sure when you're at the church they always knock on the door just I'm just about to start this sermon prep or whatever it is, but it's always at an inconvenient time, and sometimes it is, and it's like, I'm sorry I can't help now uh, I've got a kid in the bath, but it, at other times it's like okay now I need to. Okay, Lord, it's not about me, and 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 actually have that conversation, but don't expect to fix the person because actually the factors that led to someone being on the street was long, 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 long term. Um, that doesn't mean that our responsibility disappears. And that there's one more um, parable that, that I, I find really useful in terms of uh, the U-turn perspective, and that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And 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 you've got this, um, you've got the Samaritan comes along. We were doing a Bible study with the staff um, about 18 months ago. And we were looking at the different actors and the different people who were involved in the story. And you always talk about the judge and the Levite and, the, and, the, and, and, the, and then the Samaritan and the guy and his donkey and the robbers. But you, you don't always think about... And then there's the innkeeper. And then, so, so there, there are, there's, there's another character in the story. And somebody, one of the staff, said, I think you turns the innkeeper. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well... The Samaritan is, is the Samaritans. It's the person in the neighbourhood who hasn't walked by their neighbour. They've actually followed Jesus' command and they've they've done something for for, for for the least of them. And yet, and 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 they've put them on his donkey. He's, he's washed his wounds. He's taken him to the inn, but he couldn't nurse him fully back to health. So he gave a, a denarii and then one more to the innkeeper. Okay, can you look after this person and nurse them back to health? And, it, and it's interesting of of. It's, it's not abrogating responsibility at all for the individual. There was an individual component. But it's also recognising that all of us are not um, trained in a way. And I, I, I certainly working with the other staff at U-Turn and those who are occupational therapists or counsellors or social workers or highly trained people of like, okay, I could open a can of worms if I do this wrong. And in terms of opening wounds and trauma. And I, I'm not equipped to nurse this person back to health. But I have a responsibility as well, and there is I have a role to play. But then there is a space for other organisations who have more expertise in this and can sometimes see through the manipulation, um, but also can can then provide that safe environment with clear boundaries, but but safe boundaries in terms of to, to help that person. So so it's it's a there's we shouldn't take everything on ourselves is what I'm saying. 
we should look to partner with others. Projects, it's a community, community work to yeah. help the homeless. And I know one of your passions has also been to take what U-Turn is doing and maybe sort of export that a bit more broadly and the various initiatives serving the homeless. Um, yeah, maybe you can share a little bit about that as well. Um, yeah. So. so we get, at U-Turn, we get calls at least on a monthly basis, probably twice a month, from people in Cape Town, in other parts of um, South Africa, even overseas, going, oh, we've seen the U-turn model. We like what it, what it does. Can you help us to do that? Now, we're already, like any small nonprofit, we're stretched <laughs> as it is. So we've been really dreaming about how do we package ourselves so we can actually replicate and actually have u-turns or support other organizations in in other parts of the country other parts of the city and other parts of the world and so it's a long-term project um we've actually tried replicating ourselves first in cape town so we have one center and about 25 spaces two years ago we've now got three centers and 40 spaces and it's fascinating what you see is like ah the stuff we took for granted in this area so in claremont in the southern suburbs is very different environment in mitchell's plain in the township area and even in Musenberg, it's a very different environment with a group that live on the mountain. And, and so, so the, it's kind of learning through growth. And yeah, we still have desire. There's churches in Johannesburg that are talking with us. And, and we're actively exploring how do we um, support others to, to, to do, basically, to not make the same mistakes as we've made over the last 24 years but actually to take some of the, the, the wisdom that the Lord has been um, gracious to give us um, and the learnings that we have in this. Uh, perhaps just a, a word or a thought from your side on the issue of responsibility. So there's a U-turn program is trying to get the homeless to take responsibility. And then on the other side of the coin, we as individuals have a responsibility to the homeless, especially as Christians. Um, so we're exactly... Where is that line drawn, so to speak? You know, at what point is it their job to take on the responsibility? At what point is it my job to now take responsibility, for example, feeding them? Um, where do we draw that line practically? So I'm very fortunate at U-Turn to work with a number of occupational therapists. And occupational therapy um, is all about how do you get someone ready to... Um, kind of meet their uh, occupational ability, and and if if they if they're not, and, and and the picture I always had with occupational therapists was no, you've broken something, and they splint your arm, and they do something, and I said, using OTs to work with the homeless, well, I, 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 there must be different in South Africa, and it's like no, but it's it's occupational therapists who are uh, looking at um, addiction and kind of how to work with someone who's 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 struggling kind of in, in that way. And they always say it's a graded approach. So it's all about, is the task you're putting before someone, um, so you need to make it achievable, but not too difficult. So the classic example they use is, for example, getting someone into a shelter. So if someone is really in a situation that you're like, okay, I'll phone around the shelters and I'll get you a space. If a person's a bit further on the journey, and, and it's like, no, I'll give you the phone numbers, and I'll give you the phone, you phone around and find yourself a space. And then if they're actually further on in the journey, you say, well, just find yourself somewhere to stay. And so it's actually knowing, and, and so you're not setting someone up to fail, because if it's the wrong person, oh, just find yourself somewhere to stay. It's like, well, no, they're not at a space where they can. Now, as a non-occupational therapist myself, um, and as most people are in this country, it's kind of knowing in that that's where that responsibility is like, where does my responsibility and the other person's responsibility end? Uh, end and begin and that's a really difficult question to, to answer um, and that's why I'm so glad that there are <laughs> occupational therapists at Utah who can say okay no at this point there's this but it's I think it's the things we've talked about of well okay we'll test and, it, and in, in the when helping hurts model it's kind of working out does this person are they looking for relief so it's a terrible thing has just happened and actually they just need that food or clothing or structure or whatever it is. Is it, is it so they're just, they can't cope and they need that relief. But also if you keep doing relief, you completely disempower the person and they become completely entitled. Mm. Or do they need rehabilitation or do they need development? And it's looking at that model of 
Okay, so as you get to know a person, you start to realize, hang on a sec. Actually, you are at a stage where you keep coming to me and saying, look, can you provide this? I'm like, no, you can go and do some work now for that. Or uh, I'm having an issue with my shelter. Can you talk to them? It's like, well, okay, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. It's actually, it's like, well, no. Do you give them some tips about how to resolve that situation? And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky question. Mm-hmm. But it, it is one to, I think, to be aware of, um, that we shouldn't slip into the same response again and again and again, because every single person, that response needs to be different. Mm. I think it's quite tricky how just involved with the person, the whole situation is that if I just ignore the guy or if I just give him money, then I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm kind of just dehumanizing him. I'm putting him over there. Your issues are over there. I'm going to either ignore you or give you money and then you go away. But to take this kind of approach requires one to actually deal with the person and where they are at and where they're going. And like you say, do they need development at this point or do they need rehabilitation at this point? And so one has to contend with the messiness of you know, human nature and personal tragedy. And, you know. and also something I'd add to that is, say you're driving to work and you pass 20 people every day. It's not saying do this to 20 people. <laughs> it's more saying, and I, and I say in, in areas where a, a voucher is possible, I say, okay, so focus on one person on your journey. Maybe get to know the names of more, but focus on one person and give them a voucher every day. And so, and, and then so you're working on that person going, no, you shouldn't be here. You don't need to be here. And just work on that one person because that repetition really helps. Mm-hmm. So don't try and spread yourself too thin and burn yourself out. And if we're all then working with one person, then that makes a massive difference. If we're all saying, oh, no, but so-and-so is working with them, so it's fine, then that, 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 that isn't so good. So, so it's, it's also don't feel guilty. And I think a lot of us give the 10 round because of our guilt. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's like, oh, no, so it's like, oh, and, and, it would make, and it's, you're kind of buying your, <laughs> you're paying off your guilt. Yeah. And it's like, actually, it's not, and it's not just a quick, oh, just get them out of my hair and, and, and then you feel better. I've done something. But it's, it's okay, well, how can I, can I actually humanize this? Um, but in a small way that is, is actually yeah, going to help. What I really like about U-turn and the things that you're kind of teaching us now is just, you know, the idea that we're not trying to get people to get by, so to speak, like put a plaster on the issue that... One is almost trying to, and perhaps maybe you object to this characterization, which is fine, um, but one is almost trying to instill independence in the individual. There's that sense in which they are dependent, perhaps they've become comfortable in their dependence and they're okay with that, but then one is pushing them through this program and motivating them throughout this whole thing, you know, become an integrated individual, take on that kind of the weight of that responsibility. And it reminds me of uh, Paul in, we were speaking about it beforehand in uh, when Thessalonians, where he writes, you know, work with your hands and owe nothing to anyone or something to that degree. Um, that idea of just being independent as an individual and taking on that responsibility, which is, which is tough, especially when you deal with someone that you so desperately want to see this person off the street because you know that the Lord has so much more in store for them in creation and how he has created things. But especially dealing with people that perhaps they seem reluctant to want that change or want that responsibility. So U-turn makes all these resources available and now, but if the individual is kind of reluctant to, to want to step through that process, practically speaking, where do, where does, you know, the Christian individual, uh, where do I draw the line? I, I almost want to, I hesitate to say this, but at what point do you almost give up, so to speak, where you realize, look, I'm trying to motivate this guy to go through this, but he seems unwilling, you know, where's the wisdom in drawing that line and when is it heartless and when is it wise, I guess? In every job interview that we do with U-Turn, we always give someone a scenario. And maybe if you ever want to uh, um, look to work for U-Turn, I'm, I'm giving you a tip here. But we, <laughs> but we always give a scenario and we call it the tough love question. And it's that scenario of someone has, um, is on the program, they, uh, but, and there are certain rules and boundaries in place. And yet they've constantly broken them and they're called to account. And it's that but because you're trying to teach responsibility in someone and you're keeping them accountable. And, and the scenario is always, OK, it's their last, 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 last chance. They know it's their last chance. And yet they break whatever rule it is again. And it's a, a reasonable rule. And what do you do? 
And we always add, oh, and it's raining outside. And this means that this person will be back on the street. <laughs> and the thing is, if you then keep giving that person another chance and another chance and another chance, it actually ruins it, not just for them, but also for everyone else on the program. Because you have other people on the program who are looking at this and going, oh, great, it doesn't matter if I steal from our shops. Oh, it doesn't matter if I, 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 I insult somebody. It doesn't matter if I, I look for a fight. It doesn't matter. And all of these things. And you're like, no, it does matter. But we don't, it's not first strike and you're out. It's that we work with someone. And it, it's always, and we said it one time, and someone said, that's not tough love. That's love. Because love, actually, you are loving a person. Like, we love our children, and so we discipline them. And so it's, it's a, sometimes it's actually when people hit rock bottom. Just think about the, the guys who were saying, I've been on the street for five years, I was fine. Now my support network has broken down. Help me get off the street. It, clicked, it changed that switch in their head. Sometimes it's actually we are enabling people where they are. And actually that little bit of, okay, that little bit of pain and suffering is not always bad for somebody because it's also we are all accountable and responsible for, for, for what we do in our own actions. And often we, we sort of say to the guys, it's like, well, and they make a really poor choice about something. And we say, okay, well, you have to live with the consequences of that poor choice. It doesn't mean we're going to love you any less. It doesn't mean that other things, but there are consequences. So, okay, you happen to get this person pregnant. Well, there are consequences to this. You need to take your responsibility as a father. Or, oh, you've, you've stolen from here. And so does that mean that actually you should not have to repay what you have stolen? There's a consequence to this. And then your privileges that you had... They can be withdrawn. And, it, and it's this whole thing, in, but it's done in a safe environment. And so when we're helping someone on the street and they say, oh, no, no, I'll do better next time, next time, sometimes it's a, no, this is the last time. And actually, I know, because you're not learning, I'm, not, I'm actually enabling you to continue doing what you're doing. But, and we always say when someone is asked to leave, but if you do this, you can come back. And it's either something to work on themselves, for example, anger management issues, or... If, if you are actually repentant because you've just tried to stab somebody, then actually if you come back and say sorry, of course we'll let you in. And, and, and so, so there's always, it's never a, that's it. All your chances are gone forever. It's a, no, but there has to be, just for everyone, there has to be a, a, an accountability and responsibility here. And, and we need to think, okay, is this the loving response? Or now are we actually just enabling someone in, in the current environment? Yeah, I think that's a very wise and useful way to think through these things. You know, we are there for you and we are willing to take on this journey with you and help you take this responsibility. And there will always be the open door, but we're not going to enable this, if you know what I mean. We're not going to, we think we're helping, we think we're being empathetic, but really we're just enabling your lifestyle. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah, so um, maybe just thinking through the question of uh, hope, so both for those working with the homeless, but then also the homeless. So for someone who's volunteering and finds that it's very difficult, what is the kind of hope and drive and passion that keeps them going? But then also on the other side, what is what do you find is typically the hope for the homeless as well? Um, is it merely to get off the street? Um, is there something else? Uh, what do you find perhaps resonates with them in their experience? So first part of that question, what's the hope for someone who's working um, with people who are living on the streets, is that change. And we have little celebrations um, at different parts of the journey. And it's always kind of seeing um, the man or the woman who is uh, getting to the next stage and the excitement on their faces that I've done this and they get a little certificate and they talk about what their challenges were and what was what, what, um, and, and other things. And we, we invite everyone to come, staff, and also people who are on the program, because it's motivating for people who still got to get them going, God, this is hard. And they're looking at, uh, at, at actually, oh, but so-and-so's done it. And then the staff as well. And, and, and even if you work in the finance team, you're invited to, to, to come. And, the, and the, <laughs> there's one lady that said, I always find these things so encouraging. It's like, yes, I've got my head in numbers and spreadsheets and all this stuff every day, but this is why we're doing this. So it's seeing those stories of change that's massively encouraging. For those who are on the street, 
it depends. So to make that decision from and getting yourself out of that stuck mentality and into that hang on a sec, change is possible. That's one of the hardest things. It's one of the biggest stumbling blocks that we have. We find that the thing that really helps people along is one is good, clean, fun. So it's actually, you can have that um, sort of dopamine hit and that enjoyment and that laughter and everything else, not through a substance, but actually through, they, 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 they play games and they do challenges. I walked into our center, one of our centers once. I'm like, what's going on here? And they were in two teams. They had a packet of spaghetti and some press stick. And they had 30 minutes to make the tallest tower. And they were going for it. And, it was just like, and they were just having so much fun. And it was just taking them out of that. And these are people still living on the street. But just it was that hour long of, hey, this is a challenge. This is fun. And you reflect on that and go, I had a good day today. And I wasn't thinking about survival. And it starts to ch change. It's like the way the brain's wired and starts to change that. The second thing is other people that have done it. So I had one person say, yeah, I used to sit at Weinberg taxi rank and I, I, I used to kind of like smoking tick and, 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 and I, with my friends and I'd see the U10 vouchers and go, nah, nah, it can't work. And then I saw my friend who went to U-turn and then started to change. And I went, if she can do it, I can do it. And it's that kind of seeing people who've been in the same situation and seeing that change. And the third reason is family. A lot of these men and women have children. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, and children have been taken away or relationships with children have been broken. And they're like, I want that back. And that's not a quick thing because often it's like you've got to start your own recovery journey and then you've got to actually ask for forgiveness and rebuild relationships. But that's a big motivator to people as well who are on the street. Yeah, and I suppose one also lives with a, um, a sense of sometimes the brokenness through these choices. You're going you're gonna to continue to feel the consequences of that um, and to recognize that um, so that there's real change, but also that... Yeah, the world continues to be a broken place. And yeah, that, that, that hope of God's renewal of all things one day, um, I think also has certainly sustained me, I know, in my own um, journey. I'm not going to be able to help someone, you know, who's been on the streets to be a successful CEO, for example. But, you know, to see a journey, to see him progress in Christ and see him have a job and take that responsibility, it, it's really a great joy. So I'd like to ask you, JP, yeah. and that's, so I know I came to speak to you three years ago yeah. or more, even four years ago. Anything from your in experience working with the homeless and actually any from your perspective, because you have tried to run a homeless ministry and, and I, I know I chatted with your staff about, okay, here are some principles, mm -hmm. but was that at all helpful? And any tips you can give in terms of a church who is kind of wanting to work with the homeless and what has worked and what hasn't worked um, in what you're trying to do? Well, I mean, I think much of what you've been sharing uh, with us, um, we've experienced as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, you don't want to create dependency. And yet, in, in another sense, you know, for them to know on a Thursday morning, they can come to the church, they'll have a cup of coffee and a rusk, but particularly just relationships there and people taking time to get to know you and getting to know people by name, like you said. Uh, spending that, that time with people, investing with them, listening to their stories, um, praying with them, um, wanting to help them to the next step. So, I mean, I think we were also very much aware that we have a limited skill set and there's limited things that we can do. Um, so some people who've, who've wanted to sort of take a next step or who, who we felt need more full-time investment, we would maybe send along to you to an organization to do that. But really our focus was to have that safe space where at the start of the day we would start with the word. You know, we're going to focus on that. You know, have a nice warm cup of coffee and, you know, watch watch a, a Bible video and talk talk it through. And, yeah, I mean, I, I love the insights that, that um, I, we, we got there, you know, into the Bible um, insights into the characters. You know, you spoke about the Good Samaritan story. Every single character you can focus on, and I, I actually I love that. So we're currently. I mean, I don't currently have the capacity to continue with it, um, but I know that others in the church have come to me and said, 
we need to start this again. You know, during the lockdown, we were also unable to do it. And so we haven't started it up. But now that you asked that question, I think yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged to, to do it again. It's, it's, it's an important work. And I think as church, it's just an important role for a church to play. But it's also knowing the limitations mm. of uh, in terms of... Yeah. D- uh, we we uh, can't do everything. You know, so we can't do jobs training or skills training. We can you know, do some um, Bible training. And those who we were working with and um, we, we think would be, this would be a good next step and they want to, um, send them along to, you know, to do the, the U-turn program. Yeah. And so we're very grateful to have organizations like U-turn who are doing that work. Mm. And maybe also just practically for individual Christians, you mentioned you wanting to improve or work more with volunteers. Um, is there an opportunity, if someone maybe listening to this would like to see what, what U-turn does, um, to come in, maybe to serve over a holiday if they're a student, for example? Um, are there some opportunities like that? There are definitely opportunities. And again, those are posted on our website. There's an online form to fill in, and it, it's, it's under the Get Involved tab and click on volunteers, and all the details will be on there. Maybe also practically some, some resources. You mentioned that when helping hurts. Um, yeah, we actually, interestingly, um, speaking to someone else today as well um, who also referenced that. Um, but maybe some other resources as well to help Christians who particularly have a heart for the vulnerable, homeless people. So um, one, I would, I would certainly say... Go and look at our website, um, homeless.org.za, because there's some frequently asked questions. And, it, and it's, it's, it's very much looking at, okay, what do I do if someone knocks on the gate? What do I, and it, it just has some of the answers and some of the stock answers that we get a lot. And we're constantly striving to improve that because it's, it's recognizing that, that, that people, it's a very difficult thing to do. And the South African context as well, if you look at international things, is a very different context to Europe or North America, where there's a lot of um, work um, with homeless people. So, so I, I would certainly suggest that for, for the more the practical stuff. And then for kind of the more, yeah, as a Christian, how should we respond to poverty? I think when Helping Hurts is a really useful starting point, or um, Toxic Charity as well is, is a really useful book, just in terms of thinking a bit bigger um, of, okay... How is what I'm doing? I'm, I'm following the call from the Bible, but actually is the way I'm doing it actually making matters worse? Well, John, thank you very much. Um, I think there's a lot there for us to think about. Um, we'll certainly uh, make U-Turn's website uh, available um, on our website, and maybe we can even put your contact details there. People want to find out how they can volunteer. I know also even here in Stellenbosch, um, there's some good organizations, some interesting work being done with this type of voucher system that you can get by an app as well. Um, that's quite exciting um, that I've seen that's come off the ground here. And yeah, we, we pray the Lord's blessing on your future work. And yeah, we thank the Lord for your work. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And just as a final thought, it's, this isn't easy. And these are not solutions that I've given. And it's kind of... So many times I've prayed, Lord, give me wisdom here I, in terms of how to proceed and, and actually work in this situation. And, and, and yeah, it, it, it's, it, we make mistakes and I've been manipulated and, and all of us have. Don't, if you've been manipulated once, don't mean it's like, no, that's it. I'm not, never going to do anything again. It's like, it's like, no, we are called to actually help people but to help not to actually harm and and so it's it's tough it's it's a sacrifice but it's following in the way of christ as well and there's there's great joy as we see him work through that brokenness and our own brokenness being exposed through through our helping as well thank you for having me it's been lovely chatting with you guys thank you